Hello and welcome to the Pediatric Network. My name is Mike Marinas. I am your chiropractor and host here on the Pediatric Podcast. So today we're going to be looking at a COVID-19 research evidence summary. And the evidence I'm going to be presenting today uh, is... Uh, valid up until the 18th of May 2020 because the evidence here comes from a rapid review based on published and pre-printed studies put together by the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health and I'm going to link that full article with all the referencing to this show so you are welcome to have a good look at that what we've done here now is we're just pulling out those salient points these are points that if you are a healthcare provider and you are working in the pediatric space important for you to know and obviously the data is going to change because as the pandemic moves and we get more data in we understand further about what's going on but up till the 18th of may 2020 this is what we know so epidemiology, let's have a look. COVID-19 has been reported in all age groups, including uh, those, who have, those who have just been born. Now, there are fewer confirmed cases in children than there are in adults, less than 2% of the total case numbers being made up by children. And it seems increasingly likely that there are comparatively few children with COVID-19 in the community, particularly in the younger children. And it does appear that COVID-19 takes a milder course in children than it does in adults. And most infected children uh, have mild symptoms or, in, or are in fact asymptomatic. And very, very few children develop severe or life-threatening disease. Deaths are extremely rare in this population. The mortality rate in children sitting at 0.01%, which is similar to being in the region of seasonal influenza. If we have a look now at transmission, the modeling that was done by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Health suggests that children are more likely to be <clears throat> asymptomatic, but they are susceptible, they are as susceptible as adults. To infection. Now, there has been emerging evidence that is contradicting this. And the emerging evidence is saying that children may be less likely to acquire the disease. And we know that countries that have undertaken widespread testing have shown significantly lower case numbers in children. Now, there is some evidence that the role of children in transmitting the virus is fairly limited. Some evidence of asymptomatic transmission, but there's also a signal that symptomatic patients present a higher risk of transmitting than asymptomatic patients do. Now, there's a study from the Netherlands, which was included in this rapid uh, review, and SARS-CoV-2 mainly spread between adults and from adult family members to children. Now, also in the review, uh, what they showed is duration of viral shedding has been reported in children to range from 6 to 22 days with a median of 12 days. Now, several studies show SARS-CoV-2 is detected in the stool of affected infants for several weeks after symptoms have resolved. Now, this raises the possibility that there may be the chance of fecal-oral transmission. However, in Germany, there is research that suggests no live culturable virus in the stool, despite there being viral RNA that is detectable in the stool. So this suggests that uh, the, this uh, represents viral debris 
rather than an active virus. However, further studies are required to be able to work this out completely. Having a look at our clinical features, the clinical features of COVID-19 in children range from asymptomatic right the way through to severe pneumonia. We're unsure what the percentage are of children that are asymptomatic. Now, the clinical features are nonspecific and similar to other viral respiratory infections. So our most common presenting features, we know these, they are cough and they are fever. Upper respiratory tract symptoms like sore throat and rhinorrhea are going to occur in 30 to 40% of the patients presenting. Diarrhea and vomiting is going to present in 9 to 10% of cases. And there are reports of infants presenting with fever, but with no respiratory symptoms. Now, there is little in the way of clinical signs in children to differentiate COVID-19 from other childhood respiratory viral infections. And there's no firm description of wheeze with COVID-19 in the literature that's been presented so far. And there are cases of possible but not proven skin manifestation. Unfortunately, this is a case series that does include adults as well, so it's not really just child-specific. Now, COVID testing includes a swab to the back of the nose or the throat for any of us that have been COVID tested so far, like myself. Um, and these tests look for genetic material in the cells that have been picked up on that swab. And they use a technique that is called reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction, or RT-PCR. And we know that it is possible to still have a COVID-19 infection even if that RT-PCR doesn't detect COVID-19 genetic material. And this happens particularly in very early presentation of the disease or in very, very late presentation of the disease. So looking now at predictors of severity, there currently, as we stand, 18th of May 2020, there is insufficient data to draw conclusions on the following three points. How many days into the illness a child is likely to be the sickest? Number two, factors that increase risk of a child being severely affected. And number three, any hematological or radiological findings which predict disease severity. We're going to look now at at-risk groups. So data on COVID-19 and children with underlying medical conditions is sparse, and generally it only comes from case, uh, case histories or uh, case series. Immunosuppression does not appear to significantly increase the risk of severe disease in children. Comorbidities identified amongst adults as increasing the risk might not apply to children. However, it is very reasonable to expect that children with significant respiratory or cardiac conditions or children that are immunocompromised due to disease or treatment that they might be having may be more vulnerable. Okay, we're going to just uh, turn our attention to the neonates uh, section of the population quickly. Neonates without comorbidities do not appear to be at increased risk of severe disease. There is a small increase in rates of prembirth uh, that have been seen if mom acquires COVID-19 in late second or in her third trimester but they're not sure of the statistical significance of that just yet. Now, vertical transmission, so mom to baby, as yet, cord blood, amniotic fluid, and placental swabs of COVID-19 positive mothers persistently test negative for SARS-CoV-2. 
and the vast majority of newborns have not acquired COVID-19 themselves or have had adverse outcomes. And breast milk has been tested and breast milk tests negative consistently for COVID-19. And so it would not appear that the virus could be transmitted through breast milk. Okay, now the prognosis. Short-term prognosis of those who recover appears to be good with infants and with children, largely appearing to make a full recovery. And our last little piece here, we're going to just have a quick overview of what this paper has stated. Remember, again, in the notes uh, and underneath this video, you are going to be able to see the link to this. Uh, please go and have a look at it. All the referencing is there, and you can grab those papers as well. So, in ending, COVID-19 does not appear to be as severe in children than in adults. Children are often asymptomatic or they have a mild course of the disease. There is evidence of critical illness and death, but it is rare. There is also some evidence that children may be less likely to acquire the infection. The role of children in transmission is unclear, and although it seems likely that they do not play a significant role, evidence that they are not a reservoir of disease does not exist. Symptoms are nonspecific and most commonly cough and fever. Laboratory and radiological investigations may be normal or mildly altered. There is some evidence of infection in newborns, which could indicate vertical transmission, but it is not clear if this is intrauterine or if it is perinatal. Early evidence suggests both infected mothers and newborns are not particularly more severely affected than other groups. Early evidence suggests no significant increased risk for children with immunosuppression, but further data is required. Children with respiratory and complex neurodisability appear more likely to suffer complications and to need hospitalization and PICU admission, but not obviously more than would be expected from infection with other respiratory viruses. So for all of us that are working as healthcare professionals in the pediatric space, up to the 18th of May 2020, according to the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, this is what we know.